This morning, as we wrap up our series on rhythms of Christian discipleship, we'll be looking at learning as a disciple of Christ. We've looked at all sorts of various aspects and disciplines and rhythms that we're to have as disciples, but this morning we're going to zoom out a little bit and ask what fundamentally is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We exist here at Calvary Bible Church, our mission statement, Calvary Bible Church exists to multiply disciples who glorify God. But what is a disciple? We've talked about rhythms of discipleship all summer, and as we zoom out and wrap up and look at this last rhythm, this rhythm of being a disciple, specifically as it pertains to learning, we have to ask, what does it mean to be a disciple? If Jesus commands us to make disciples, how can we do that if we don't fundamentally understand what a disciple is? I'm going to ask a question. It's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer it. But think of what your answer would be if I were to ask you, how would you define a disciple? If someone came up to you and said, what is a disciple? How would you answer? I know there'd be a variety of responses represented from each of you here, and that's good. But I think there'd be probably a recurring theme, and that'd be it'd have something to do with learning. Learning would appear in most of your definitions. And that is because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who learns. He or she is a student and a follower who makes it his or her concentrated effort to learn from the teacher. In English, this idea of the learner and learning, this idea of the disciple and learning. In English, this idea of discipleship and learning These are loosely related conceptually. Like we know the concepts of these two things are connected. A a disciple is somehow conceptually connected to one who learns. But in the language of the New Testament, in Greek, they are directly related linguistically. This concept of being a disciple and being a learner are the same root. The verb to learn is the root word of the noun disciple in Greek. The connection between learning and being a disciple is hardwired into the New Testament. This morning, I want to trace that connection, and we'll see how that sheds light on our discipleship. The connection between these common New Testament words, and we'll only really mention them at the beginning, so got to do it, methetes and manthano, that noun word, a disciple, a learner, and that, that verb, manthano, to learn. The former, the word disciple, occurs almost 260 times in the New Testament, but the verb form, to learn, is used only 25 times. So it's about 10% of the times that is actually in, in verb form, which is, again, often overlooked looked when we're thinking about discipleship because we're not seeing the word disciple. So, mathetes, that first word, is the noun that's often translated disciple in our English translations. I think probably all of your go-to translations are going to be translating this word as a disciple. A dictionary definition, which are always super engaging, is one who engages in learning through instruction from another, one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views, a disciple or an adherent. Now, the other word, manthano, is the verb that is often translated as to learn in our English translations. 
This has the definition of to gain knowledge or skill by instruction, make the acquaintance of something, learn, learn about, come to know, find out, ascertain, come to a realization. And here's an important part, that third point of that definition. To come to a realization with implication of taking place less through instruction than through experience or practice. To learn, appropriate to oneself. That's significant as we think about our role as learners, as disciples. Someone who comes to these things through experience and practice, not through an academic course of study. So understanding the connection between these words sheds much-needed light on our daily life and walk as believers, and it is laden with direct application for us today. So as we see the connection between a learner and a disciple, and realize those are the same things in the New Testament, we'll be helped in understanding what it means to be disciples, and then, consequently, what it means to multiply disciples. So as disciples, we should be learners. That's, hopefully, if there's one thing you come away from this morning, that'll be it. But what is the aim of our learning? Who is to be our teacher? What ought to be the content of our learning? And from where comes the capacity to learn? And that'll be our outline for this morning. The disciples' aim, the disciples' teacher, the disciples' content, and the disciples' capacity. And we'll hit hit those as we go through. So the first is the disciples' aim. The disciples' aim. It is Christ, to be like Christ, and Christ himself. So, Many of you are in college, or many of you were in college, or many of you are thinking about college, or at least all of you have thought about college. College majors, you have to choose one when you go into college. And one thing that's uh, not new at all in this century is people start off in one major and they change majors. That's nothing new that's happened for for years, start off taking one course of study and you end up in a different course. More recently, colleges kind of caught on to this and decided, you know, we could start offering a college major called Undecided and get people to sign up now and then hopefully figure it out later. I'm not knocking those that, that do that by any means, but it's a new approach on the college's part. And I just, I, illust- I say that to illustrate the fact that our Christian discipleship is not like that. When we start following Christ, from the very start, the disciples' course is charted. It's not that we enroll in the school of Christ and decide later what we want to major in. Our major is determined by our enrollment in the school. Our major is, our, our, our aim is to follow Christ, to be like Christ, to be conformed to his image. So as believers, our discipleship is marked by a fundamental desire to grow in Christ's likeness. It is our aim to be like Christ. Take a look at Matthew 10, 24 through 25, and I think I have it on the screen. So Matthew 10, 24 through 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Jesus goes on to say, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Another verse, similar thrust in um, uh, verse 40 of Luke chapter 6. 
A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is the disciple's aim. The disciple's aim is to be like his teacher, to be fully trained that he will be like the master. And by God's gracious transformation of our hearts at our conversion, the disciple of Christ becomes new in Christ. And this happens at our conversion. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's a familiar one to all of us, I hope. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is very significant that even as the disciples' aim is to be like Christ, from the very start of our walk, we are placed into Christ and our new creations in him. So consequently, as we pursue the aim of Christ's likeness, we do so as new creations who are already in Christ. This is a freeing and extremely important reality. As disciples, we don't strive to become Christ-like so that we'll be accepted on the basis of our conformity to Christ. Rather, we strive to become more like Christ because he has made us new creatures and gives us the desire to be more like him. There's not a certain SAT score or a certain ACT score or some sort of entrance exam that makes it so that we can enter Christ's school of discipleship. Not at all, far from it. In the beautiful words of Joseph Hart's, Come ye sinners poor and wretched, known today as come ye sinners poor and needy, the third verse of the hymn reads, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth, all the, the prereqs, all the, the only thing that's going to make it so you can follow him, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. That's, that's the requirement to become Christ's disciple, is to recognize your need of Christ. And then the, the hymn goes on, is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Even the need That sense of need that we have to come to Christ is a gift of the Spirit. So, question for all of us as we we think through this aim in our discipleship of being like Christ, what are some alternative aims that may cause a disciple of Christ to stumble and become distracted from our aim of glorifying God through Christ-likeness? It's all too easy to get tripped up with different aims pulled in different directions than this ultimate aim of Christ-likeness. So take maybe... Two minutes, maybe even one minute. Talk about it at tables. We'll come back together real quick. What are some alternative aims that can trip up a disciple of Christ? Go. But bringing it back together, what are some alternative aims, things that can trip us up as disciples? Shout a few out. Being your true self. Yes, that would be a distracted aim for sure. What else? Um, Pursuing comforts. Pursuing comforts, yeah. What else? It's a long list, but what are some common ones? Money? Yeah. Wealth? Yep. Social media. Social media. Yeah, kind of with that, either yeah, the desire to look good before others or, yeah. Position. What is it? Position. Position? Yep, that can be a subtle one, but definitely. Any else that you all have talked about? It's important that we start a study of discipleship with a study of why or who our aim is in discipleship because it's so easy to get 
tripped up in this area. So having seen that the learner's aim is Christ-likeness, we turn now to see who the disciple's teacher is. Who the disciple's teacher is, and that teacher is Christ. Do you remember having a teacher, either in college or at home, a teacher that you just loved? It was as though they could make every lesson interesting, even on things that you weren't really interested in. They could handle their material. They knew their subject so well that they could make it engaging. They could bring clarity to things that were confusing. And of course, those were the teachers that you wanted. What about the other kind of teacher, the teacher that is the opposite? They could take a subject that you loved and somehow make it boring. They could take something that was so clear going into the class, and by the time you left, you felt like, I now know less about that subject than I did before. Well, fortunately, and by God's grace, in our discipleship, we have the privilege of learning directly from God himself. We don't have to worry about the getting a, a bad teacher. We have our Savior himself as our teacher. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's that Manthano word, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We are called to learn from Christ. And interestingly and very profoundly, the disciple is one who has learned, past tense, from God the Father. Coming to Christ shows that we have learned from the Father himself. In John 6, 45, Jesus says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard, past tense, and learned, past tense, from the Father comes to me. So the fact that anyone comes to Christ indicates that that person already has learned from the Father. Now, this has some significant implications, the fact that, first off, we already have learned from God the Father, and we have the privilege of our ongoing learning being from Christ himself. The implication is that Christ himself is our teacher, and we should be pursuing direct relationship, direct fellowship with him. Of course, human teachers are good. They're graciously given by Christ as gifts to his church, and they do serve an important role. We see that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, where it says Jesus gave, the, in the previous verses, it's the word gift is used. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or shepherd teachers, for the purpose of, that is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So yes, Christ is our teacher, and he gives human teachers. And we have to keep in mind that Christ is free to use means. That he uses human instruments and vessels does not negate the fact that Christ is still the teacher, and we are following him as disciples. The role of any human teacher, any human preacher, is secondary. Because Christ is the disciple's teacher, we must always guard against a sort of partisan spirit or, or I follow so-and-so, well, I follow so-and-so approach to our walk with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 addresses why this is wrong. Because 
It says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? These men, these teachers, however, even in these cases, apostles, they are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. This is merely God using means. So thirdly, as we've looked at the disciples' teacher being Christ himself, the disciples' aim being Christ-likeness, now we look at the disciples' content. And the disciples' content, the things that we are to be learning, it's Christ himself, Christ's ways, and Christ's word. In this school of Christ, what is to be our course of study? What is it to be that we're, we're supposed to be learning? Are there electives? Are there certain things that we can clep out of and somehow get out of certain things that we won't have to learn? And certainly our discipleship is progressive. Like there's, there's a progress through it. There's, there's things that we go from one thing and we, we move to the next. But at the same time, there are things that we never move past. There's things that we never graduate from. There's things that we never stop learning. So as we think about what constitutes the disciples' learning, here especially a survey of that use of to learn throughout the New Testament, where learning is applied to the believer positively, this is helpful in us understanding what it means to be a disciple. So when Scripture speaks of our learning, what sorts of things are highlighted I think here the distinction between past learning and then that present and ongoing learning is helpful. Because Scripture talks about some things that we have learned in the past and some things that we are to be learning today. The first category, these things that we have learned, past learning. We've first learned Christ himself, Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. I want to turn to this passage and read the, the verses preceding it to pick up the context. Feel free to turn with me if you'd like to Ephesians 4, and we'll start in verse 17. The reason I turn to this verse, um, whereas the others are just projected, this, this is the passage God used to open my eyes to my need for a Savior, helped me realize that I hadn't learned Christ, that I wasn't a disciple of Him. And this is the, the passage that cut to my heart. And I think it's helpful in illustrating what it means to learn Christ. As we, as we go through it, look at how many things pertain to knowing or to pertain to our mind or pertain to our thinking. And we realize that our thoughts, what's going on in our mind, impacts our actions. So see that with me in Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, so those actions, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The first aspect of our content as disciples, the thing that we are to be learning, the thing that we are to have learned, is Christ himself. We have learned Christ himself. The next thing that we see, and this is talked about all throughout Scripture, things that we're to be learning are Christ's example. The believer's Christ's ways, sorry, Christ's ways as shown through the examples of other believers. 
the examples of other believers, specifically as Paul talks about himself, imitate me, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This means that as we imitate those that are truly following Christ, we are imitating Christ's ways. Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned, past tense, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we have learned Christ himself, we have learned Christ's ways, and we've also learned Christ's word. For any who have believed in the gospel, the gospel is the word of Christ. Colossians 1, 5, specifically the second half of Colossians 1, 5, and 7, uh, through 7. This is, should sound very familiar from what we heard this morning. I'll read it again, though. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. We're picking up kind of partway through that verse which has come to you, so this word, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So the gospel is certainly something that we study, something that we remind ourselves of, but fundamentally for the believer, someone who has trusted, trusted in Christ, it's accurate to say, I have learned the gospel. As a believer, I have learned the gospel. Obviously, I'm learning more to understand all the implications of the gospel, but a believer is someone who has learned the gospel. We also have learned, when it comes to Christ's word, to confine ourselves to what is revealed in Scripture, to confine ourselves to what is revealed in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 which I, oh, no, sorry, uh, Romans uh, 6, 17, I jumped down, sorry. Christ's word is, uh, we've learned pure doctrine, which promotes unity in the truth of the gospel, unity in the truth of the gospel. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And here that where you have been taught is, again, that manthana, where where you've learned, that you've learned. Avoid those persons that are bringing these twisted things that are promoting disunity. So those are the things that we have learned, a survey of what's been learned in the past for the believer. What about what's to be our ongoing learning? What are the things that we are to be learning and ought to be learning? Again, Christ's word. We are to obey and apply the truth of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 as for you, continue in what you have learned. So you have learned it, but continue in it. And, firm, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we're to be learning to obey and apply the truth of Scripture, to continue in what we've learned, and also we're to learn to confine ourselves to what is revealed in Scripture. That's where I jumped on earlier ahead. We are to be learning to kind of hedge ourselves in with the truth of Scripture. This is really significant when we think about the importance of knowing Scripture, because often we think about, yeah, I just need to, I need to know what's in God's Word. Well, of course we need to know what's in God's Word. But this verse highlights that not only do we need to know what's in God's Word, we need to know what's in God's Word so well 
that we can immediately recognize what's not in God's Word. Because it's impossible to confine ourselves to what, in, what is in Scripture if we don't actually know what isn't in Scripture, which is why we need to be reminding ourselves regularly of the whole counsel of God. This is in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. The Apostle Paul writes, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So if we're to be able to not go beyond what is written, we have to know Scripture well. Confining ourselves to Scripture and not going beyond what is written demands a continual study of the Word. It's not sufficient merely to know what is in Scripture. We must be able to discern what is not in Scripture. And another thing constituting what our ongoing learning is, is again, Christ's ways. This is illustrated again by the Apostle Paul. Paul modeled learning contentment. This is an aspect of Christ's ways. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is something that Paul learned as a disciple. This wasn't an instant thing that came to him as a, the moment he was saved, he just learned, mastered contentment. No, this was something that was learned in an ongoing way, and we need to do the same. A quote from Jeremiah Burroughs, I believe I've included in your handout, which is helpful for the older English here. When thou comest into the school of Christ, Christ teaches thee that there is a vanity in all things in the world, and the soul that by coming into the school of Christ, by understanding the glorious mysteries of the gospel, comes to see the vanity of all things in the world. That's the soul that comes to true contentment. So Jeremiah Burroughs is highlighting that that contentment is one of the first things that is taught to the believer, but it is taught gradually. And there are certain things that may happen in the lives of any one of us that may accelerate that learning. And often it's a hard lesson to learn contentment in Christ. The other thing we learn as disciples of Christ in an ongoing sense is devotion to good works. Titus 3.14 says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Just a brief side note. It's important to note that Christ himself modeled learning. This word was applied to Jesus Christ himself in Hebrews 5, 8, where we read, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Kind of connected back to that contentment bit. The fact that even our teacher modeled for us what it means to learn is amazing. So, just an aside here as we talk about the content of our learning and the things that we're to be learning in an ongoing sense as disciples. Again, we have learned the gospel as believers, but there's an ongoing sense, a progressive sense of learning, and that we're always learning as disciples. If we're a disciple, we're a learner. But what about this type of person spoke about in Scripture that's always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth? And this is the tragedy of empty learning, the tragedy of empty learning. There is a type of learning that is utterly empty. Without, this is learning, quote-unquote, I put air quotes around that clearly, learning without a prior saving knowledge of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7 is where we read, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Again, actions flowing from what's known, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Paul is speaking of the empty and fruitless learning, which comes from trying to acquire more and more knowledge 
without first having come to embrace the truth of the gospel. Quote from the Institutes of Christian Religion, human discernment is so defective and lost that the first step of advancement in the school of Christ is to renounce it. Like a veil interposed, it prevents us from beholding divine mysteries, which are revealed only to babes. Salvation is not acquired, quote-unquote, through storing up knowledge, but rather through humble faith in Christ. Our coming to Christ and learning from him reveals that we have been taught by God, and consequently our ongoing learning is not a fruitless learning. As we continue to learn things in our discipleship, it's not a fruitless learning. We're making progress because it's learning and growth in the truth. It's not that we're hoping to maybe come to a knowledge of the truth. No, we already have a knowledge of the truth if we've received Christ. We then learn and grow in the truth. And lastly, as we think about the disciples' learning content, the disciples' learning becomes his message to others. As was typical in the first, second, third century, especially among kind of the, the Greek um, philosophers of the day, they would have their students and they would be teaching their students some sort of message that then would be proclaimed to others. Well, in the case of Christ, he is the message that we proclaim. The message the disciples of Jesus Christ declare is Christ himself. The message the disciples of Jesus Christ declare is Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The message in and of itself is folly and a stumbling block to man. We also proclaim Christ to those who are already believers so that we can prevent them, present them mature in Christ. So here's talking about evangelistically proclaiming and preaching Christ, but in Colossians 1.28, we want to present people mature in Christ. So Christ is the content that we communicate to other believers. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So our message as disciples of Christ is Christ himself. That's a message that saves non-believers, and it's a message that brings to maturity believers. So personal reflection to ask all of you, what place does learning have in your Christian discipleship? What constitutes the content of your learning? How are you currently growing in your knowledge of Christ, your understanding of his word, and your appropriation of his ways? A couple discussion questions and we'll break for table discussion again for a little while. These questions are, why is it important to realize that learning is supposed to be a lifetime characteristic of a disciple? Why is it important to realize that learning is supposed to be a, a lifetime characteristic of a disciple? What sorts of things might tempt someone to plateau in their discipleship or their learning? And if we have slowed in our learning, what can catalyze a renewed pursuit of growth in our discipleship? Take maybe five minutes or so to discuss those at tables, and then we'll wrap up with the last point on the disciples' capacity. All right, hopefully you've had a moment to talk through those questions. We've got a few minutes to share just a little bit. What, uh, what are some things you guys talked about at tables as far as why it's important to realize that learning is supposed to be a lifetime characteristic of a disciple? Uh, keeps you humble. Keeps you humble, yeah. It's... Yeah, we could do a whole study on the connection between learning and humility. It's extremely challenging to learn from a stance of pride because we think, I don't need to learn it. Um, we talked about a little bit that Christ is, if you're a disciple of Christ, Christ is going to teach you either way. 
but are you going to be in a posture of eagerly receiving that learning, or is it going to be hard lessons towards a, a proud heart? Good, good point. What else? Why it's important to realize that learning is supposed to be a lifetime characteristic. Yeah, that's a great point. That, yeah, even just the way we use the word disciple in, like today, we often think of it as like, oh, I'm discipling someone. Well, first and foremost, I am a disciple. A disciple seeking to encourage, invest in, pour into, disciple others, certainly, but always as a learner of Christ. So, yeah, that's a really good point. What about that second question? What sort of things might tempt someone to plateau in their discipleship? Clinging to sin, yeah, exactly. Not throwing off that sin that so easily entangles. Yep. What else? Is that the only thing? Laziness, yep, just laziness or apathy. Anyone else talk about anything else? Or laziness and sin, the only two? Or you could say one, the sin of laziness. Poor company. Poor company, yep. Good. Distraction, yep, those are really similar. Yep. Anyone else? How would you encourage someone if they've slowed in their learning or if you yourself have slowed in your learning? What sort of things could catalyze a renewed pursuit of growth in discipleship? Or are we just stuck like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any of the areas that we talked about this whole summer are going to be things that are going to renew a sense of learning. I mean, even, even what Russ talked about with service, like as soon as we get into serving others, then we realize I have a lot to learn if I'm going to serve this person well. I need Christ to teach me in this area. So, yeah. What else? Getting back to like a childlike posture. Hmm. Yeah. Who is it that Christ said would enter the kingdom of heaven? Those that become like one of these little ones. Yeah. Childlike posture, big time. So having surveyed how the New Testament speaks of the disciples' call to learn, it's encouraging to visit one more concept, and that of ability and capacity. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2. How many of you, and this is an actual question because I'm curious and also part of an illustration, by show of hands, how many of you turned on your car radio in the last week? Listen to the radio. FM, AM signals, nice and high. Like, We're looking at half of the people that still turn on the radio. I still turn on the radio. How many of you, Spotify, Pandora instead? Yeah, okay, thought so. Well, for sake of illustration, we're talking about car radios here, but... Uh, Everyone has at least listened to a radio before, right? If anyone's not listened to a radio, okay. So when you listen to a radio, specifically any radio, but car radio, you're driving along, your antenna picks up either FM or AM radio waves. Your 
your car's system converts that into audible wavelengths and, and blasts it through your speakers and you're able to hear it. You're able to, to hear those FM, AM signals. And then not only are you then able to hear those audio waves, your brain then actually converts those back into neurological signals that your mind can then interpret, which is crazy to think about that just happening as you're driving down the road. And it's awesome. And it all happens almost instantaneously. Now here's a challenge. Because you all know like those, those radio waves are, are, are going right now. You're just not tuned into them. Here's a challenge. Late at night or a quiet afternoon, go out into your like, backyard, somewhere quiet. It has to be quiet. No phone, no radio, no, no tech. But then think really hard, listen really hard for your favorite radio station. It's playing. Your favorite radio station is playing. So you just got to, like, if you could just listen really hard to hear it. If, you, if that doesn't work, like, know which direction the tower is and kind of like cup your hand in that direction and it might help to receive the signal. We all know that won't work. Why doesn't this work? Because the message is being broadcast on a frequency that can't be understood by our bodies. Our bodies do not have the capacity to pick up AM signals, FM signals, cell phone signals, you name it, we can't hear it. Light waves, no problem. Our, our eyes can pick up, they can perceive light waves. Sound waves, loud and clear, literally. Engine vibrations, that frequency, our, our bodies can literally feel those wavelengths. But FM radio waves, nothing. We can't hear them no matter how hard we try because we do not have the capacity or the ability to receive them. And scripture speaks of spiritual truth this way. This is really significant as we talk about our learning as disciples, our learning of spiritual truths, if Scripture says we can't naturally perceive them. Without an FM radio receiver, we cannot understand FM radio waves, and without Christ's mind, we cannot discern and apprehend spiritual truth. So 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. And here's the challenge. Here is the challenge. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Not able. Not able. Can't. You gotta love when someone asks, you ask someone to do something, they say, I can't. Well, maybe you probably could, but here's the situation where it's not able. They're spiritually discerned. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So how is it that we can say that we're going to be learners of Christ, that we're going to be disciples of God? How can we say as humans, as, as natural humans, how can we say that we're, oh yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to learn from the creator of the universe when it's impossible? It is a natural impossibility to accept and apprehend spiritual truth. But that's where we're very thankful for verse 16. Starting in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's a question. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means we are given the ability to comprehend, receive, and act on the spiritual truths that are naturally foreign and unintelligible to our flesh. It's the difference between walking into the woods and trying to listen for an FM radio signal with your hand 
versus hopping in your car and listening to it through the radio. It can be understood with your radio. We can understand spiritual truths with the mind of Christ, and the disciple has the mind of Christ. But apart from the mind of Christ, these things are foreign to us. An implication here is that having the mind of Christ gives hope to our own personal discipleship. We can learn what Christ desires us to learn. We can truly learn these things. This fact that the believer has the mind of Christ also impacts the way we approach discipling others, pouring into others, investing spiritually in others, because this gives us hope that the believer, the disciple of Christ, is able to receive these truths, is able to act on them, and is able to apply and obey them. So discussion questions that we can loop back to at the end in just a minute. How does the fact that disciples of Christ receive the mind of Christ affect our approach to how we pour into the lives of young believers, younger believers? And how should our having the mind of Christ encourage our study of God's word? So as disciples seeking to make disciples, that's all of us here at Calvary, all of us who are believers in Christ, I should caveat. I know there are, there are many week in and week out that visit that are not believers. All of us who are believers, it is our aim to, to be disciples and to make disciples. And we must always remain in the posture of eager learners as we do that. We are seeking to learn from and imitate our master and our teacher. And this is a lifelong pursuit that demands diligence and discipline. As we've talked about this whole summer, as we seek to grow in these areas we've talked about, prayer, evangelism, Bible reading, corporate worship, fellowship, service, work, all of these areas, as we try to learn them, we have to be careful to do so as disciples of Christ, those that are learning from Christ learning to walk as he walked, live in a way that honors and glorifies him. And as we do that, we must approach our walks with Christ with an attitude of humility and the recognition that we are disciples that never leave the place of learners. We are always learners. As we pursue greater and greater conformity to Christ and apprehension of all that he desires us to learn, we can take comfort that Christ himself is our teacher and that in having his mind, we are granted the ability to receive his instruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have taught us by us coming to you in prayer and in a right relationship with you, experiencing your love and goodness. We know that that's indication that you've taught us. You've taught us to love Jesus Christ, to follow him, and we ask for your help in that. And Lord, as we say help, we don't just mean give us assistance with something that otherwise we'd be fine on. We just need a little boost. Lord, we recognize we're coming to this from the posture of utter inability apart from your enabling, apart from having the mind of Christ. So again, we thank you for your promise in answering this prayer, and we do plead that you would help us in our walks with you. Help us to be applying each thing that we've talked about this summer in seeking to grow in these rhythms and daily habits and weekly habits. And Lord, I just ask that as we Consider our whole lives as believers. You would help us to be men and women who are learners, always in the posture of learning, always eager to hear from you and apply and respond to all that you've given us in your word. We lift up the rest of our day to you and ask that you'd be greatly glorified in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.